Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I've actually given my talk a title, which is a bit unusual for me because I never ever think of titles for talks. But the title that I've been thinking of is Whose Vision Is It Anyway? And um, I was telling Chris when I came in, it's one that I've really struggled with this week because I knew what I wanted to say in this sermon, but actually trying to find good examples and put it into words, I was finding rather difficult. And it led to quite a few late nights this week as I struggled to, to think of good examples that I wanted to build into the sermon. So... I'm going to start in Genesis, um, in chapter 37, starting at verse 5. And it's the story of Joseph. And people will be familiar with Joseph, because Joseph was a guy that God gave dreams to, and the ability to interpret dreams. And it says this. It says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. Sounds really arrogant, that, doesn't it? His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. These sound like normal siblings to me. <laughs> then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now often when we talk about Joseph, we talk about the arrogant Joseph being shaped by God into a man who finds favour in Pharaoh's house. And then saves his family, and by saving his family, saves the Jewish nation and the promises that have been given to Abraham about his descendants. But I don't want to look at that today, because you know we pick over it so often, we're so familiar with the story. And if you've never read the story, you're bound to have heard the musical. You know that we know his arrogance got him into a lot of trouble. God shaped him. And he became an incredibly changed character. But what I want to look at today, or in the first part of the sermon, is how his family reacted to what Joseph was saying. Because there's no doubt that the vision that Joseph was printing to his family was from God. There's a lot that can be said for the way it was delivered... You know, nobody likes to be told that they're going to bow down to someone else, do they? 
especially if it's one of your brothers or your sisters. And if you're a parent and a child comes up to you and says, you're going to bow down to me, I can imagine the sort of um, response that my children would certainly get if they came and said that to me. But the position that the family were hearing it from, or certainly the brothers, were at two different poles. We had the brothers here who were hearing it out of hate for Joseph. They already hated him. Now he was just giving them even more reason to hate him even more. Because in verse 5 it says that when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. So if they hate him even more, he's starting from a position where they really didn't like him anyway. And the reason for that is because the starting point for his father hearing that is that, hey, this is my favourite son. And the other siblings had picked up on that. So I hated him because he was the father's favourite. But the father loved him. Incredibly so. Which is probably why, even when the father heard the arrogance of the way that the second word was brought, where he would be bowing down and worshipping, he might have listened a bit more than the brothers did. Because it says in verse 11, that the father kept the saying in mind. He held on to what Joseph had said to him. Jacob, who was the father, knew God well enough to know that God talks to man. And when Joseph had the dreams, he recognised there was something there. He might not have agreed with the way it was delivered, but he recognised there was something there. And he held on to what was being said. The sad thing is, because of the way the message was delivered, the family didn't realise that the pictures weren't about raising Joseph up to rule over them so that they would come and bow down. What they missed in it is when God gives a picture, it's normally for the blessing of the people it's given to. But they were so caught up in their hatred, or they were so caught up in their sibling rivalry, they were so caught up in their position even, you know, the position of being the head of the family, that when the word was given, the reaction was just terrible. You know, who are you to be saying these things to us? But the truth of the matter is, when God gave the pictures to Joseph, the pictures went for Joseph to turn around and say, look how wonderful I'm going to be. But they were to encourage the family. So there's a lesson there. If God gives you a picture, be very careful about how you print it. Because you can put people off simply by the way that you print it. And what we need to understand from that is when a vision is brought to the church, that doesn't belong necessarily to the person that prints the vision, but it's owned corporately by the whole body. When people come up and give pictures, when people give up, come up and give prophetic words that God has put in their hearts, it's not necessarily for them, but it's for us. We need to be listening to what God is saying to us and listening to it in the right spirit. Proverbs 
Proverbs 29.18 says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In the King James Version it says, without vision the people perish. But in this one it says, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. God gives us vision to keep us focused. I work for a, a reasonable size organisation. And you go into our buildings, you go into our intranet, and on the wall everywhere it has our mission statement. We are Yorkshire House and we are here too. And then there's a list of things that we want to provide as part of our service. We also have our core values on posters everywhere. And what it's there for is to keep people focused on what our aim overall is. Because it's very easy to get stuck in your position when you're at work and forget that there's a bigger organisation around you and that there's other people who do things. In the industry, they call that working in silos. And often in the church, we can do the same. You know, we can get caught up in, we do the small group leaders. We do the, the um, praise and worship. We do the prayer you know, we set out the chairs, we do the children's work, we do whatever. We can work in our silos and forget that there's actually a bigger picture that God is building around us. That God has a big plan and we're just a part of that plan. We're a piece in the jigsaw. You know, if the jigsaw fits together, we'll get a beautiful picture. But we need to learn to play our part. So when God gives vision... It can be given in two ways. It can be a personal vision from one person into another person's life. Actually, it can be given in three ways. It can be from God personally to you. It can be to God to you for another person. Or it can be from God for a corporate body, for the church. But all the vision that's given is given with one purpose. And that's to keep us focused. Without goals... People as a whole tend to just drift through life. Anyone knows people who just seem to drift along? Nothing really much happens in their lives. Nothing really phases them or that. But then they never seem bothered about what they achieve in life. They just seem to be drifting casually with the tide as they go through life. But God has set a purpose before us. God doesn't want us just to drift through life. God wants us to build a church in Doncaster... When he gives his vision to us, it's to encourage his people and to build us up. It's one of the Ephesians 4 ministries. And in Ephesians 4, it tells us that these ministries are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The ministries are given to build us up and help us grow, to achieve everything that Christ has bought for us. They're not given just so that we can sort of shrug our shoulders and say, oh well, that was nice, but it's probably more relevant for a lot of other people you know it's not up to me to take on the corporate vision 
we pay on to do that or we've got other leaders who do that. You know, it's very easy to get into that attitude where when we hear God talking about things, we can easily dismiss it as being for others. But we need to understand that when it's brought, it's brought to encourage us and build us. That's why we're told to weigh upwards in Corinthians. And it's what Joseph's family failed to do. You know, their attitude towards Joseph ensured that they didn't hear what God was trying to say to them. Although in reality, the way it was delivered, they probably had no chance to find out what God was trying to say to them. But the lesson there is to listen to what's being said, but also just start questioning whoever brought it to see if there's any more. Because the thing about vision is God gives it to us, but when we deliver it, it's delivered through us. So whenever a vision comes, it's got part of us in it. It's got the way that we would talk in it. It's got the way that we would see it, the way that we would interpret it. So it's good to actually come back and say to someone, you know, what did you actually mean by that? Was there anything else that you're not thought about printing? Don't be frightened to question people. Which takes me on to the second point that I want to make, which is that vision is actually there to be understood. You know, even the book of Revelation, although it's done in pictures and signs, if you have a look at where they appear elsewhere in the Bible, you start realising that they do turn into very ordinary things. And there's a great book by um, John Hosier called The End of Times that actually takes you through things like that and it looks at the pictures in Revelations and sees where else they've been used in places like Daniel and that and talks about how they were explained in other places. It makes Revelation quite a lot easier to understand. But if vision's there to be understood, my question and my challenge to you today is, do you understand what the vision for the church is? I actually went on the website, because I didn't want to get this wrong, because I felt it was important to see what it said about us on the website. What is our vision? I thought, it's quite an inspiring vision when you start reading it, because first on our vision list is to build a large, town-wide church which is God-centred, Bible-based and Spirit-filled. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that something that you should get excited to work towards? A large church. God-centered, Bible-based, Spirit-filled. I can get on board with that one. Next one I struggle with. For the members of the church to be friendly, full of life, and be relevant in the way that they reach out and serve the town of Doncaster. Well, hopefully I'm friendly. I don't know if I'm always full of life. You know, two young children tend to shatter you at times, but never mind. We need to be a people that have an appeal to others. You know, if we all come in here looking dour, is that, yeah, looking dour down here. All right, I'm going to stick to the Scottish one, I like it better. <laughs> if we come down here looking dour on a Sunday morning, what's the appeal to people to walk in that door? But if we to come in here with a spring in our step, a smile on our face, you know, and be really happy and pleased to see each other, suddenly there's an appeal there for anyone who walks in the door. 
The next one is to see midweek community groups situated in and re reaching out to every district in the Doncaster area. We already have two cell groups. We'd like to try and increase that to three, possibly four. And not just within Doncaster town. The thing is, it says Doncaster area. I've got a Doncaster postcode. I live closer to Selby than Doncaster, but I've got a Doncaster postcode. You look at the Doncaster area, and it is massive. It's not just the town. For members of these groups to seek to share the relationship with Jesus in word and deed with those that they interact with. Does your community know you're a Christian? Do your workmates know you're a Christian? Because that's what this part of the vision's about. Interacting with the people we meet on a daily basis. You know, I spend eight hours at work every day. That's more time than I spend with Becky on a daily basis than spending with workmates. So, but awake time. <laughs> They're a major part of our community. To be a resource centre to train disciples, plant churches and advance God's kingdom in Doncaster, Yorkshire, the north of England, across Britain and the rest of the world. If God's calling you to plant a church somewhere, I don't care if it's Snaith or Siberia. That vision covers it. And where appropriate, to work with and promote other like-minded churches. New Frontiers might be a family of churches. But we're not arrogant enough to think that we've got all the answers and that we're the only way to get to God. You know, any Christian denomination that accepts that Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, that he died for our sins, was resurrected, and that we can have life eternal through him, you know, they're a good starting point for meeting with us and working with us. But only when I came to Doncaster, God envisioned them with an idea of what the church would be. You know, they didn't come blind into it thinking, okay, let's just go up to Doncaster and see what will happen. God started giving them visions about it. And they started working to fulfilling those visions. You know, one of the visions that it would be a church that was built on prayer. So we have prayer meetings regularly. You know, Adersi or Mawena often pray about the church. How often do we pray about the church in our quiet times? Because they've got caught up in that vision, the church has taken a shape that God has given them for it to take. What we need to do is get caught up in their vision for the church so that we're all building the same thing. Because what's not going to work is if Ford Mawena are building a wall over here and we're building a wall over there heading off in a totally different direction that's never going to meet with the wall that's getting built over there and someone's building a wall on the other side that's just got no chance of ever meeting up with anyone. We need to be building together. And if we build together, we need to understand the plans for what we're building. That's the vision for what we're, we're building. And it struck me that even the great men of God had to get people on board to achieve what they've achieved. And as I thought about that, I just thought about Billy Graham. Everyone thinks, Billy Graham, what a fantastic evangelist he is. All these people that have come to Christ simply because they've attended 
you know, one of his big events. But there's the thing. How did he organise the big events? Did he organise it himself? Did he phone up someone and say, oh, I'm going to come to, I don't know, Britain. I need five or six football stadiums because I need to get a lot of people in. Did he do that organising himself? I don't think he did. But what happened was people got caught up in his vision to evangelise en masse to thousands of people at a time. And through people getting caught up in the vision, these events happened. We need to be caught up in the vision for the church if these things are going to happen. It's not just about Owen and Moena to build a church. It behoves us to take ownership of the vision and to run with it so that we can build it with them. Another example I thought of was Jesus turned around to Peter and said, you know, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Yet today, when you read through your Bible, we've got more teaching from Paul, Luke and John than we've got from Peter in the Bible. You know, we tend to build our churches on that teaching. Why? Did Christ lie to Peter? I don't think he did. I think that these people got caught up in the vision. Just the same as Peter got caught up in Christ's vision, so they got caught up in the vision of a worldwide church. And they got caught up in such a big way that they're prepared to get alongside Peter to build the early church. But actually at some point they went running past Peter because whilst Peter was concentrating on building his area of the church, they were extending the boundaries of the church. The beautiful thing about vision as well is it's never ever static. You know, our vision has been growing. Owen stated once that he had faith for a church of 100. Then it rose up to 250. I think just now it's sitting at 400. I can't remember what the last number it was. You know, but God's been growing his faith for the numbers that they got. And if you think that getting to 100 is going to be hard for us, I can tell you getting to 100 in a church can be quite a simple thing and it can happen quite quickly. I've been in churches where it's happened literally overnight. 250 can be a bit different because then you've got to get your leadership structure in place. You've got to get the wineskin in that can hold the people. Because one guy is never going to manage a church of 250 people. That's where you need a leadership team. Getting up to 400, you know, you're growing that team. That was at Stonely when a guy called John, um, um, I know I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, so you have to forgive me. I think it's Kipikpi. I don't know. Um, he prophesied daring New Frontiers as a movement to believe God for a thousand churches. And New Frontiers, whenever you go to an event, they talk about this prophecy that we're going to have a thousand churches in Britain. But there was a second part to the prophecy that not only would we have a thousand churches in Britain, but those churches would be churches of a thousand. So if you're struggling to get your head around this church growing to 100 or 250 or 400, God has actually proved, eh, eh, promised us, because we're a New Frontiers church, we're going to grow to 1,000. Now, in a population the size of Britain, that means one church for every 60,000 people. What's the population of Doncaster? Anyone know? 287,000. That means that we can plant four churches in Doncaster. 
So if you do the maths, is that right? My maths might be, no, yes, we can plant four churches and have some change from that. So if you're struggling to have faith for 100 or 250 or 400 or even 1,000, if we're planting four churches, that means we've got to have faith that from this body here, we're going to have faith for 4,000. Isn't God fantastic when you start thinking about these things? Because God has promised us a thousand churches with a thousand members. You know, when I heard that, it was like there was a branding got placed on my heart. And I realised that I had to be a part of this. I was actually in a Neil and Pentecostal church when I heard this vision. But God actually set my heart on fire. I realised that what God was promising was that this small movement, who, fantastic, they were getting 20, 30,000 at Stonely, was going to grow to a million. Which I think would pay, put them as one of the largest church movements in this country. But not only was it going to be large in numbers, but it was going to be large churches. Churches that would actually stand out like a light on a hill or a beacon on a hill calling people into them. Because you get a large church, people just drop in thinking, what is it that gets people along to these churches? You know, I knew then I was going to be part of a church plant. And I knew then that the church plant would reach a thousand members. You know, so like I say, if you're finding it hard having faith, for the 400 we've got to raise that barrier again because God has promised this small meeting here is going to grow to a thousand strong the third thing I want to say and the final thing is this not everyone gets into the promised land in Exodus 32.9 it says this And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation for you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? Whom have you brought out of the world? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he print them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of printing on his people. You know, when the Israelites sinned on their way to the promised land, God set his heart out to destroy them. You know, one thing that God hates is sin. And here was a people who, you know, just didn't get it despite everything that they'd seen despite everything that God had done for them, they were just, I don't know, crazy. But Moses kept on reminding God of the promises 
that he'd made to Abraham, the promises he'd made to Isaac and Israel, and how he'd saved his people from Egypt. God stayed his hand because he's faithful to the promises he makes. But he also stayed his hand because of the relationship that he had with Moses. Moses had a special relationship with God. And we talk about the Old Testament having Christ-like people. And Moses was a Christ-like person because he was acting as an intercessor between the Israelites and God. God listened to Moses and God spoke to Moses. Moses was God's chosen person to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. But then we go into Deuteronomy 34 and it says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. <coughs> then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hand on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses led the people faithfully. Moses interceded before God. Moses knew God face to face. But in a moment, God removed his right to lead the people into the promised land. Because Numbers, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given you. You know, really a moment of frustration with the people of Israel cost Moses the trip into the promised land. Did the vision stop with Moses though? We know that it didn't. We know that Joshua led the people in. We know that everything that was promised to the generation that came out of Egypt was delivered into the hands of the next generation. We know that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Israel. We know that God <coughs> built what he said he was going to build. 
God keeps his promises. What we need to realise though, is that it's important to always be building up the next generation. It's always important to have people coming through. And that's one of our visions, you know, as a people, to build people up, to come on through. If you have a look on the New Frontiers website, one of the reasons we church plant is because it's easier to raise people in a church plant than it is in an established church. Because the opportunities in an established church are a lot less than the opportunities in a church plant. We've got no lack of jobs for people who want them. The question is, are you on board enough to join the vision and run with them? We've got to be the generation that comes through. Because if we miss the opportunity, God's going to raise up the next generation and they'll be the people that go through to the promised land. Can you see, although God will give vision through a single person to a corporate group or to individuals, it's not always those people that fulfill the vision. Abraham never saw his seed cover the entire world, spread out. You know, he never saw his seed go out to all the nations. But it was his promise. Vision can be picked up, handed on to the next generation. That's why it's important that we all own the vision. That's why it's important that we don't start thinking, you know, it's great for other people to run with the vision. That's why we need corporate ownership. Because there's a danger that we miss it as a generation and it gets passed on. And here's a question that I want to really put to you just to finish. When you look at Doncaster, what do you see? Do you see a land flowing with milk and honey that we're going to get possession of? Or do you see a land filled with giants in a fortified city? Are you going to trust God to hand this land over to us? Or are you going to be frightened to go out there and claim what God has given us? If you see opportunity, then let's start taking ownership of this vision. It's our vision. You know, we are the people of the promise. The Israelites who came out of Egypt were the people of the promise. But they let the promise slip. The thing about the vision is it's too big for one man to carry by themselves. We need to be on board. We need to move forward. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 